Welcome to Insight, Health Optimization with Rudy and Sean. Today we'll discuss the first part of our program, um, the part of how to get to 80 years of age. But before we do that, I want to have a chat to Rudy about his upcoming Swiss Epic. Rudy, Swiss Epic. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, very interesting. Um, long road, uh, one of my big bucket lists. I'm going to do it with my wife, Chantal. Uh, do you... oh, well, talk about the test of your marriage. <laughs> yeah, it is a <laughs> proper test, but luckily we've been through two big ones already, the, the big Cape Epics. So uh, as you know, it's uh, Cape Epic is like pretty much the uh, Tour de France of mountain biking. So the Swiss Epic is a little bit shorter, but a lot more climbing. Mm. It's also at altitude. Um, and I think it's very pertinent about where we are at the moment looking at this. Um, it's it's interesting, the development. And as we've been saying, everything in what we as persons, me and you, doctors, family men, uh, both uh, our um, parents and then also our spouses, and now looking at our kids, you have to have some type of goal and what would be our goal so our goal for me and chantal number one to finish the race so and then our second second is not to fall so try and have as as little falls as possible and then you start putting things in place saying you have to be fit as possible your bike has to be ready how do you get your bike there? How do you fly there? So there's a lot of steps that go into this to ride uh, five days in a row at altitude, climbing almost 3,000 meters per day, riding between 50 and 80 kilometers a day, day in, day out, feeding, feeding wise, sleeping wise. So there's a lot to 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 put into a big picture, but at the end of the day, that finish line is where you're heading to. And I, I think that's very pertinent about we, what we want for ourselves, number one. And, and, and I think, again, that's why it's great, this podcast, because people must know me and you are in exactly the same boat. We have to do all the same things everyone has to do and maybe more. And we are sitting here probably because we've got a little bit more going on than most people, but with that came a lot of research and that's what, what we want to get out to people. Yeah, I think the point is that you need to prepare for event and that's the way we approach longevity. Um, you need to have the end goal in sight and you need to plan for that and that's that's the idea. So that will take us to today's podcast, um, to reach 80. So obviously, to reach 80, you need to avoid the obvious things. Don't smoke, don't drink and drive, and then climb mountains without ropes. <laughs> the other things are all more of a medical nature. Um, and to to know your risk, you need data. So at Innersight, we often refer to, to this, to the uh, know your numbers. Because you can only manage what you know. So if you haven't tested it and you don't know what your risks are, you can't manage it correctly. Um, obviously, we can't prevent or predict all medical issues going forward. But there's a couple that stand out and we refer to them often as the four horsemen. And I think you can maybe say something about the four horsemen, where the concept and... Yeah, um, do we we borrowed the term from from Peter Tia, mm -hmm. um, uh, and we we don't we don't aim to be Peter, but I mean we've we, we've taken quite a lot of what we're doing from his and other people's learnings, and we want to bring it to to our crowd and also say, but we can do what is being done over overseas and also we can help overseas patients or patients or clients or however you want to look at, at them uh, looking at numbers because at the end of the day we've we've now invested a good five six years in these numbers to try and understand them so and to come back is the four horsemen is pretty much the the four big killers so the big things that's going to pretty much surprise you and go, I'm here today and this this might be your end. But they are very testable and we, we can look for them, we can put numbers behind them and make sure we've screened them. So 
you've you've talked about smoking and you've talked about the the car crashes if you take them out of the picture the big things that we look look into is um as peter calls it uh, ascvd or atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease um the easier way to look at that is pretty much heart disease strokes so so that's the one thing and then the other thing is metabolic disease so metabolic disease is it's clumped together. It's a few things, but for most people, you should think of it as, as maybe an overload of sugar. So it's um, it's uh, if you talk about diabetes, it'll fall. So metabolic disease is is a is a front runner before you get to diabetes as such, and then obviously cancers is the other one, and the fourth one is neurodegenerative disease. In that forced dementia, Alzheimer's, or however our listeners would know it, but that would be your cognitive decline. So not being able to be you late in your life. So uh, as I said uh, before, my mum is, is, is in that position at the moment, and I, and I see exactly where I do not want to be when I'm 75 years old. So, and I think that's, that's in, in this, this is gonna be the golden thread pulling through all our podcasts is if you look at the numbers, our four big killers, we want to make sure we've put them in a box and say they've on, they're on the side. Yes, and I think important as well is that those are the conditions that we can actually test for. And there's a lot of things that we can do to either reduce the risk or reduce the impact of the disease. And that's why we chose those conditions as the core conditions of the um, screening of getting to 80 years or 90 or whatever your marginal decade might be. Yeah, just to just to talk about that marginal decade as well, it's another term we've 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 borrowed. Um it means if you want to be 110 years old, it means you're 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 110 or 100 to 110. Or if you want to be 80 years old and a very good 80 uh, at the end of your life, then it's your 70 to 80. So your last decade of your life, live it as hard and as good as possible. What we want to say, and this week again, I had a, a, a family member contact me to say um, he's going to a friend's funeral that passed away of a heart attack at 48. That should not happen in this day and age. We should be able to have a number behind your score to say what your chances are. And uh, I think the people listening to this, looking at longevity, should know that there are better numbers than just saying, okay, but I've had my yearly checkup and I'm okay. You should have proper numbers behind no, Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think there's too many people dropping dead at a sports event that everyone thought he was okay, but we need to have the numbers behind it. And getting back to know your numbers, I think that's so important. We need to have the information to, to actually make decisions uh, regarding your how we're going to manage you and how we're going to prevent certain things. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you to tell us about ASCBD because, I mean, we will come back to this, but we are in the same boat and ASCBD, you got a slap in the face one, one day to say, oh, here it is now. And that's why you dug so deep so early in your life. You had to uh, at an at a age of below 40, which is which is very young and yeah, I'll leave no, you. Absolutely. So Rudy mentioned it earlier is that um, when we re refer to cardiovascular disease, we basically refer to two conditions. The first one is a disease of the blood vessels of the heart muscle itself, um, ischemic heart disease. And that's the one that usually uh, ends up in a myocardial infarction. The other leg is the disease of blood vessels of the brain, uh, cerebrovascular disease. Um, which leads to a stroke. Okay, so when we talk about cardiovascular disease, that's mainly the two that we refer to. So why is it important? Cardiovascular disease is still the number one cause globally of deaths. Globally. The second cause globally is cancer. But the numbers are almost double that of cancer. That's it. I mean, that's the number one cause of death. And that's why it's important. To put it in context for our South African audience, um, one in six people in South Africa will die from cardiovascular disease. And every hour, five people will suffer a myocardial infarction or heart attack. 
So that's quite big numbers. Mm, that's and that's why numbers. it's important. Mm -hmm. The main risk factors, smoking, hypertension, and lipids. That's the three main risk factors. And that's the three risk factors that we need to address. Now, and, remember, and have numbers and have numbers behind. Sorry that I'm no, interjecting absolutely. there. Yeah. So with smoking, obviously smoking is a cause a chemical problem to the blood vessel lining, whereas hypertension causes more mechanical disturbance of the blood vessel lining. And lipids, we'll have a big discussion on lipids going forward in the cardiovascular um, podcast. Those are the three main issues that we'll address for cardiovascular disease. Yeah, I think. Sorry, Sean, I'm I'm interjecting all the time. No, I do. think I think the big thing that we we must say is uh, the data is now clear. One cigarette is one cigarette too many. So, uh, I mean, alcohol is still a little bit of a maybe one is okay, two is maybe too many, and don't binge drink. I mean, that's the, the that's what the data says. So the data is not like don't drink alcohol at all, mm -hmm. but the data says. No, for smoking. Yeah. No, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, your all-cause mortality goes up with 40% if you're a smoker. That's mm. massive. All-cause mortality, 40%. That's a no-brainer. Mm. Don't smoke. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think the other thing is also that cardiovascular disease doesn't happen overnight. It takes years, decades to develop. So if you can have the numbers early on in life, you can intervene. So if you know your risk early, then you can prevent a myocardial infarction. And we can almost look at a myocardial infarction or heart attack as a failure of the current healthcare system. Mm. Or, or sick care system, as, you, yeah, as we sometimes sick say. Sick care system. So yes, we can do stuff about it. I think of all the four horsemen, cardiovascular disease is probably one that we have the most arsenal to, to do something about. Mm. Yeah, and and it's almost like saving. Uh, you start people say start saving when you're 25. You will see the benefits when you're 70 or when you retire. And it's uh, that delayed gratification is is the thing that you have to work past. But I mean, it's almost exactly the same. If you want to go and have a walk with your grandson on the beach. Uh, still in good health. I mean, your number one thing you should do is stop smoking if you're smoking. Number two is know your numbers with cardiovascular disease. The earlier, the the better, because at the end of the day, it's all about that clogging of your arteries. So what we do at InnerSight, we use a couple of things to determine your risk. One of the things that we do is we use calculators, the Framing and Heart Study Calculator to determine your cardiac risk. Now, it's, it's, it's a, based on the study of many years, um, and they use cholesterol and BMI, smoker or non-smoker, what's your systolic blood pressure, things like that to work out a risk according to the calculator. So we use a 10-year risk and we use a 30-year risk. So if your 10-year risk is elevated, then, I mean, we need to intervene immediately and that we will quite aggressively tackle that. But we're actually more interested in the 30-year risk calculator because this is what we're about. We want to reach 80. So 30 years at least, we need to look at that. And even if the 30-year risk is slightly elevated, we need to intervene now because it's all about time under the curve. The longer you're exposed to high lipids, the longer you're exposed to high blood pressure, the longer you're exposed to cigarettes, whatever the case might be, the higher the risk of having a problem later on in life. Mm. The only one thing, there's one thing with the calculators that's a bit of a problem and that it's very age de um, determined. So in a young person, it might underestimate their risk. So we need to be aware of that. So we can't just use a risk calculator and say that's your risk, especially in the younger people. Yeah, I think I think uh, th the problem is we're not testing our youngsters that much. So you, you start testing later in life and we've got good numbers for 50-year plusers, but I mean, there's, there's quite a few people that get their cholesterol and their ApoBs and all that done at 25 or even 30. So our, our scores are not great for that, for that uh, uh, population group. But 
Yeah. Again, coming back is we use at, at least the three big things that we talked about now: the the, the um, blood pressure, lipids, and we check if you're a smoker or not. And uh, again, I mean, uh, the people that come to 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 Innersight, um, they give us an idea if they're a smoker or not. But I mean, uh, it's not something that like the uh, the the insurance companies that we that we check because we're not policemen. We want to get you to a poll. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. The the other thing that we also do is we we take a decent family history. We actually got a family disease tree in the program, so we can follow you from your mom and dad's side all the way up to grandma, grandfather, and and their siblings as well. Because often cardiovascular disease runs in the family, so you can pick it up in the family disease tree. So we do that as well. Um, and that will just will be more aggressive if we see there's a family line going on. The other genetic test, the one, the lipoprotein little a, we test that because we spoke about that in the first podcast. 10 to 30% of the population will have an elevated level there, which increases the risk of cardiovascular disease. Yeah, and as we said in the first podcast, that's not something that's done routinely. So most GPs will not in South Africa test for that. I mean, I didn't even know what it was even when I was a, or I was a doctor and I five years ago I had no idea what LP little A is and uh, or was, and now I do and. I actually pulled all my bloods again from 2017 this morning and I was like shocked how bad they looked at 20, 2017 and I thought I was in great health and I was like, okay, and I wasn't. So, uh, but the, for the normal population out there, it was actually okay. But it, but if you look at the inner sight way, it wasn't. It definitely wasn't. So it's it's very very interesting. So um, maybe you can just tell us if you if you delve down. So we've now said we'll test uh, your calculators and with the with the three big things: hypertension or blood pressure, then the lipids, and then smoking. And what if you're unsure about that? What other tests? So yeah, so the family tree and the lipoprotein little a, we'll, that's the genetic risk that we look into. And then we'll do the normal lipid profile, uh, the lipid profile, um, the normal cholesterol ones. We, we, don't, we don't care so much about the cholesterol, the total cholesterol level. So we delve into APOB and LDL. That's the two that we, we look at. And, and of the two, APOB is the one that's what we absolutely focus on. So we want to get that number in a range that's for your risk profile um, adequate. And we'll, we'll have a look and say, if you've got a positive family history, if your lipoprotein little a is raised, then we're going to go quite low on the APOB. Yeah, I think, again, coming back to what you're saying is, if you don't know your number for your LP little a or your APOB or your doctor does not know any of those two terms, you need to get a new doctor or you can have to come and speak to us. You need to know your numbers. Absolutely. There's also two other blood tests that we also check that falls into the cardiac profile is, is the homocysteine as well as the uric acid. So we look at that as well because those both those also got an effect on your cardiac outcome. And I mean, uh, again, uh, that has changed so much in the last five years. And the, and and we were actually before we had this podcast, we were talking about how how the uric acid has changed and how I mean, even we saw the new data come in yeah. today about how you can treat that to have better longer term outcomes. Uh, it's it's just amazing. Approved by the FDA. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's and excuse us if we if we get. <laughs> really excited about this, but we see the longer term good that we can do now. So we we want to change practice, and yeah, it's amazing for us. Um, other things that we're also testing is obviously the inflammation markers. Because as we mentioned in the previous podcast, is that you need there's a couple of things that needs to happen to form the plaque in the artery. So one of the factors is inflammation. So we check the inflammatory parameters. So homocysteine was falls in that category almost, but we also look at the, the CRP or C-reactive protein to see if there's inflammation ongoing. Mm. And all these things comes together to give us an idea of your cardiac risk. And then the testing-wise, 
So if you go look at the European guidelines, they stated almost that every person should get a CAC scan once in their life. But yeah, for the for the people listening, a CAC scan, if you can just tell them what that is. Yeah, so it's a coronary artery calcium scoring system where you go into the hospital, they'll do a low-dose CT scan of your coronary arteries and look for calcifications. And then they've got an algorithm that they run and it kicks out the score. And depending on the score, it will tell you how bad your arteries are looking at that moment. Yeah, so it's a scale mm. about the, the amount of calcium inside your arteries. And that scale will tell you how bad, because calcium is is when a, a, a plaque has formed and has matured, if I understand it correctly, eh? Yeah, so, so it kicks out a number, and we know the numbers is wrong. The guidelines state that, if you've got a number of about 200, you should be on a statin immediately. And if your score is above 400, you've got quite a big risk for getting an incident in the next three years. But even with scores lower, I mean, we know some 80-year-olds, they've got a score of zero. So if you've got a score of 10, 20, whatever, it already shows that there's something happening in your artery. So it's a very nice screening test to have. If you've got a low score, and we decide, depending on your risk factors, that we're not going to start you on medication to alter your lipid profile. We might opt to repeat that test, say, in two or three years' time and see if there's progression. If there's progression, then we'll intervene at that point if you do not want to intervene earlier. So this is just a couple of things that we do just for one thing, just for cardiac risk assessment. I think I think we need to come back to to that. So we we we've got a lot of things we test, and there's no one thing that can tell you how how bad it's going to be. But if you put all the tests together, we try and form a risk profile and also work on the risk profile. I mean, if we if we pick things, then you will find the outliers. I mean, we all know about the 90-year-old lady that smoked 20 cigarettes per day and never had a heart attack. I mean, she's the outlier, but a lot of people use that. But the big data tells us don't smoke. And again, the big data tells us that do a, a, a CAC scan or a coronary, a coronary arterial calcium scan to get a value because that value is quite predictive about when to start treatment and what is going to happen for going oh, forward. Absolutely. And one other thing that we do often see in the practice is that someone will come to you and say, but I had a stress ECG. It was normal. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. But what it tells you is that you don't have an occlusion more than 60 or 80%. What, what about the 20, 30, 40, 50% occlusion that you might have? So, yeah, that's the analogy I always use about the what does the stress ECG tell you? It's very much like someone standing by the side of your house and saying, "Yeah, but there's water coming out of the drain, so the, every, all all the drains have to be open. The pipe, the downpipe is is giving us some water. You don't know if there's a tennis ball that's just about to roll into that gutter pipe and and block the whole thing. So." What the what the CAC scan tells us is that there's a tennis ball lying uh, on the absolutely. roof. Yeah, I like that one. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's one part of the the program is the cardiovascular part, and we've just mentioned a couple of things that we test to get the the picture, and then decide on your risk, and then we'll have the discussion and say, this, this is all the numbers. Look at the numbers. We work out your risk. We suggest what you need to do, and we take it from there. Yeah, and and again, just picking up from our third our first podcast um, about the numbers because we were trained in such a sick care model, we always wanted to make things better, and you always want to tell a person, but no, it's okay, it's okay, and hence the saying: if your stress ECG is okay, you are okay, and. Uh, that the, might not be the truth. You might, might not be the truth. And that's why it's good to have this calculator built in. I mean, before, and the people that will do the inner site or have done the inner site is, uh, I mean, you, you go through iteration with a nurse and the blood tests and everything before you, you come to see us because we sit there with the numbers already before we've seen you. So we don't, we don't get involved really. So we can actually use the numbers to tell you exactly where you stand, which I think is very nice. 
And that brings us to the second part. The metabolic part. Yeah. So, to, so, so the second one of the first horsemen. So we can just we can just pull back to where we. So we're working through the four horsemen today. So we've had our first one, which is the ACBD or, or, or cardiovascular disease, uh, which brings the strokes and the heart attacks. So now we'll move to the second one, which is um, uh, the metabolic disease. So metabolic disease. Uh, as I said, pretty much in, in my mind is an overload of sugar. Um, it, it's the, 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 the expanding of the gut as you get older. And again, COVID has shown us quite a big part of how much underlying inflammation there are in, in people with metabolic disease. So they were not, they were not, uh, diabetic sometimes or they were pre-diabetic or however the the doctors insulin resistant was the other term that they used but almost half of those or 40 percent of the people that died were uh insulin resistant or up in the in the diabetes class so yeah, and i think they refer to hypertension often as the silent killer but I, in metabolic disease that's also a silent killer because you um, Often you don't know that you metabolic unfit or have metabolic issues underlying, and and then it, it's something like a pandemic, like the COVID, comes along, and then then you see the impact. Yeah, and we've re recently also seen in our population, South African South African people are quite big, so our our system hides quite a lot of this um, underlying almost obesity but because we're big we we think that that it's okay and then when we start doing the numbers we delve down and we find the raised insulin level we we, we put the numbers that we get from from our nurses visit in there and you find the the raised uh, waist circumference so i mean and and i think again is we shy away in South Africa quite quite easily to say no, but BMI is a bad predictor, uh, and it, and it's actually not. It's um it, it is a predictor, and I think the the there's two schools of thought. But I mean, obviously, a lot of people talk about the muscle side, but a lot of the time, the visceral fat, which is the killer, which is pretty much what metabolic syndrome is about uh, is hidden if you don't if you don't uh, test for it yeah. no, I think that's a very important point the visceral fat so that's uh, the abdominal circumference that we test we measure it and then we can see if there's a, a possibility that you might have the internal type of bad fat that we're talking about um, the only way to actually know is to do a DEXA scan um, but but we can get an idea from doing doing a, just the abdominal circumference and then guide if we need to do a DEXA scan or not. And it's yeah. also a continuum. So it starts off with raised insulin, then your sugar starts to come up slowly into the pre-diabetic range, and then it, you become a diabetic. So yet again, like cardiovascular disease, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, so we've got time to intervene. If we pick it up early enough, we can make a difference. Yeah, and just to just to bring back again how, how we test. So if you think about just weighing, I mean, you can just weigh yourself on a scale, and and, and that should give you a value of let's say eighty or ninety, and and you know your height. That, that's where the BMI comes from. But then the impedance, the electric impedance scales started coming in, so you can go to your uh, to, to to your dietitian, and they do the test where you hold on or just stand on the electric impedance scales. You now have the Garmin type scales that do it at home. And then you talked about the DEXA scan. So the DEXA scan is exactly the same scanner that they use for uh, uh, bone density. Yes. So it's a low-dose X-ray scanner. Um, and you, you can do it in most places, uh, most big centers in South Africa. And, and with that, they, they again, use an algorithm as, uh, and then they work out what is bone, what is muscle, and what is fat. Yes. But that can actually see the inside again. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, again, it's, it's one of those things that chronic inflammation that we're testing, the metabolic disease causes that 
chronic inflammation and uh, I mean the the sugars when we delve deeper into the metabolic disease we'll go about which sugars are your biggest problem how to get rid of them what can be done how you can lose weight uh, fasting and all those type of things so we'll get to that and delve for an hour into metabolic disease but I, I think as the second horseman very very important and I for our South African audience, it's actually much bigger than you think. It's it's very very interesting. Even we see people that look skinny that that has got problems in this area. So, and that's the danger is the is the skinny fat person that we sometimes see. Yeah, I think to put it in perspective, is there was the 2018 study in the Lancet that predicted that diabetes would become the leading cause of death in South Africa by 2040. Yeah, and we we That's and we clearly massive. talking about diabetes type two here, not yes, type one. Yes. I mean, the the type ones are getting better and better and better at managing their health, but the type twos we're probably getting worse and worse and worse because uh, I, I I don't think people realize uh, how bad that is. And again, uh, I mean, speaking from my own. Uh, experience with uh, family members that had this and and you would discuss with them and say but this is really going to hit you and then 10 years later when they have their leg amputated they're like oh but you told me so mm-hmm. and this is the thing we, 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 we're trying to say is there should not be big heart attacks that should, should, should surprise you on a Tuesday afternoon. People should not be cutting off legs anymore if you, if you really look after yourself. So, um, but I mean, obviously we're not going to change the world, but we want to get out there that there's, that, that we can put numbers behind this. No, exactly. It's like knowing your fasting insulin is raised and say, no, don't worry, wait. <laughs> pre-diabetic range don't worry wait you're not a diabetic yet. that's fine you're okay no, no not, we can't do that anymore yeah. we need to intervene early agreed agreed okay um so yeah we're going to leave metabolic disease there like i say it, it is a topic we are passionate about and that's that's still even 10 years later when i first heard about People talking about um, insulin and, and insulin insensitivity is, is um, uh, it's it's still not out there. So I think we we need to spend a good hour on that and 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 talk to what it is and how people can change it, how to turn it around, what what can be done, non pharmacological, pharmacological, all that type of thing. Yeah, and I think that's important. Mm. You know, you can change. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Let's try and get through to the third horseman. Third horseman, cancer. That's a difficult one. It's a difficult one, and it's a it's an important one. <laughs> I sit here with one. a scar on my uh, on my right side. Yeah. Um, that's just about healing. Uh, because of my screening, I, I am bang in the middle of it. So yeah. 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 So for men, one in two lifetime risk. And for women, one in three lifetime risk of developing cancer. So if you live long enough, you've got a big chance of developing some sort of cancer. I think the problem is over over time, screening is difficult. We're limited in the amount of tests that's available to screen. Um, I don't think the current screening process is run well. I think a lot of people that are supposed to be screened, not screened. If you look at the five-year survival of cancer over the last couple of years since 1975, it's increased about 36%. But if you go look into the data, the advanced stage cancers, there's a very little improvement on survival. So most of the improvement in survival is actually detecting cancer early. I think that's the important thing. Of all the cancers that we diagnose, only about 14 to 16% were picked up through screening. That's a low percentage. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you're saying that. I actually delved into my own 
my own uh, cancer. So I was diagnosed with a malignant melanoma on, on my side uh, the other day. And I looked into my my figures. So there's a 98% survival rate with a, with a, cancer, um, with a malignant melanoma in situ. But the people that got one picked up have got a better survival rate than the normal population. So they switched on that they got a screen and then they start screening for yeah. other cancers. So, so it's the screening that's the thing that we have Absolutely. To and if you go look at screening, you compare screening for breast cancer versus lung cancer. So 61% of breast cancer cases picked up through screening versus 3% in lung cancer. Wow. And it's all about the awareness. There's a lot of awareness around breast cancer. So if we can get the awareness out there, we'll get more people um, screened. And I think that's the important thing because if we screen more people, we'll pick it up earlier and then we can do something. Yeah. I think that's the take-home message is if you pick it up early, you've got a 98 up to 100% chance of survival, long-term survival. And that's what we do with InnerSight is pick the five big ones that yeah. will get you in your gender group. So, yeah. so men have got their own. Girls have got their own. So in the women group, we pick the five big ones and check if you've had a screen for them. With the men, same story. I mean, we don't do the screening as such by ourselves, and uh, um, except for the for the PSA as a as a blood test. But we check and tell you which ones we think you should be testing yes, for. Yes. So we take the information from the questionnaire and see your family risk and your age and things like that combined with other risk factors. And we follow the current guidelines out there for when you should be screened. And then we'll just tell, you know, advise you on the screening regarding this. So at the moment, um, the screening going on is colon cancer, um, breast cancer, cervical cancer. We, we screen for melanoma or skin cancers if, you know, if there's a risk for that and prostate cancer. Not not many countries and there's a lot of countries that's moved away from the prostate cancer but we still do a psa at least in that sense um and those form run around about 30 percent of all cancers so it's a big lump of the cancers that we can screen for at the moment but yet again we need to scan early pick up early to make a difference yeah and i think that's the other thing that's changed in the, in the time we've been busy with this like 50 when we started thinking colonoscopy was like early. Mm. Now, these days, people think 40 is now 40, where 40, you should yeah. start screening. And if you speak to the surgeons or the gastroenterologists, they do pick up quite a few uh, malignant uh, uh, polyps in uh, early 40s, mid 40s. So it's quite interesting that uh, there is. And that's a good example because if you pick up that polyp early and you cut it out, you, you've you've saved a life, absolutely. So, and once you've once so, and I think that's that's what we're trying to bring through is your first screen is maybe quite heavy, and then we can delve down. But you don't have to have a, a colonoscopy each year. It's every five years or maybe every three years if, if if the surgeon says so. But next year we do something different. We do a CAC scan next year or we do uh, – you pick the, the next bit so you try and get your risk mm -hmm. as little as possible and also define your risk. That, I think that's the other side. Well, I, I think the uh, from a practical side in our inner side assessment is a lot of the guys, we pick up quite a few things and then we spend most of the time – the on the urgent stuff and the screening might stand over to the next year unless there's a big red flag there um, then we might opt to do that earlier um, but just to not cognitive overload people with all the stuff because you you know if you pick up a lot of stuff then you can't just do everything at once so we try and guide them through this is the most important thing we're going to do this first three months from now we'll do x y and z and then next year we're going to do these screening tests um, yeah. just, to, just to help help people out there and i think i think that's the other thing people people must realize is everyone's pretty much got something no one is immune and i actually said to my my boy uh before we were talking about things and he's like but well, what are you talking about and i said we're talking about how to get people not to die early and he's like and he was thinking i mean he's six years old and he said 
okay, I realize people have got to die, so you can let them live longer. So I said, maybe not longer, but you make them live well for long. Yes. And I think that's that's what we're trying trying to do. Now the, and the, the uh, I'm taking a little bit of a detour, but what I wanted to say is, everyone's got something, and it takes. 18 months to three years to get through the whole system, to get a proper value behind what you're doing and, and get through all the screening tests and start getting yourself to, to where you're running on all cylinders. You know? yeah. Coming back to the cancer screening, the, you know, the new liquid biopsies might be something for the future. It's quite exciting about it. I know that Grail test, they, they claim to test for 50 types of cancers. Mm. And, you know, compared to the four or five that we can test at the moment, that 50 is quite a large group of cancers that we can test for. So they basically use, um, it's a blood test, and then they test for tumor DNA to see if there's a possibility that you might have some form of cancer. And there's a big study in the UK going at the moment, and we're awaiting the results on that one to see. And it's, yeah, it's exciting to see. Maybe maybe in the near future, we can test early for many, many more cancers than we can do at the moment. And again, that brings us back to what we said in the first one. I mean, we we might not have all the all the answers now, but we have to get ourselves the best specimens further down the road till more technology comes to make things easier. Because I mean, the colonoscopy is still the the best test to 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 look for colon CA, but maybe in five years time it might not be. But if that if there's a better test, you should have done your colonoscopy now to make sure you don't have a cancer by in five years time. So that's that's what we're trying to say. Absolutely. Great. And the fourth horseman. Yeah, so neurodegenerative disease, very interesting one. Um, I think that's the one most people are, are scared of the most is losing your mind um and i mean we 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 talk about an over umbrella term called dementia and inside that is quite a few quite a few types of dementia which in south africa our most common one is alzheimer's um which named after after a specific person but it's just a way the brain shrinks and uh, so it's so it's a physiological brain that gets smaller, and how the person changes and forgets and and loses function. So I mean, we obviously see brain function go with um, with memory going, but people must just remember it's the whole system that goes. So people people get weaker because this this the electrical system actually runs your muscles your your uh, heart goes slower your um gut gets problems after a while so it's it's a total decay and uh, i mean the, the, there are so many things that can be done um and and little things that we test but again we we had a a good um chat this week me and you about the things the two big things people can do now to the golden ticket that you've got to try and not get dementia and and, and i mean the golden ticket is your b vitamins and your omega-3s and and that is something we uh, test number one so we do a blood test and then the other side is we um we we can do a blood test for omega-3s but it's not it's not the thing we do, but we do do it in a questionnaire trying to fish out, uh, if you, <laughs> excuse my pun, but if there's enough fish in the diet. So yeah, and I it. think the third one is um, homocysteine. Mm. Yeah. We've, we've just had that um, information on the homocysteine that up to 20 to 22, 30% mm. reduction in risk. And yeah. that, that can, you know, just taking your B vitamins is, can make a huge difference there. I mean, there's no medicine available to, to get that type of risk uh, risk reduction um, in dementia, but there's a lot of factors in dementia. I think I, you know, and and the approach would be multimodal in prevention. And the other big one is exercise. The yeah. effect that exercise absolutely on your brain and keeping your brain going. And in that exercise, I mean, people don't think about it, but grip strength is actually one of your biggest predictors if you're going to have. 
um, dementia later in life. And that's something we do test as well is, is grip strength and, uh, and also um, pectoral, pectoral strength with push-ups and stuff. So a very interesting developments coming there. Uh, uh, there's, there's not that much research because there's not that many drugs that can change it around by the time you get there. But um, I saw one of our InnerSight clients um, yesterday and he said to me, oh, I've done all these genetic tests and can I send them to you? And I, I, I wanted to say to him, rather do the InnerSight for a year two or three and, and, and get values behind before you do big like delve into genetic testing because uh, your your genetic testing will be off if you don't have enough b vitamins and you're not taking omega-3s then your methylation will be off so we need to get all the big blocks in order and that's what we're trying to do here is building blocks big blocks and try and build the pyramid and genetic testing is right at the top and it's still so new i mean we, we do it, but it's not one of our focus areas. That that is really the the cherry on on the top. It's 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 not something you do as a first line. But obviously, we see it often. People trying to get in at the back door. Yeah. But for longevity, we need to have the base. I mean, you need to get the base right before you can do all the other stuff, like you mentioned. Absolutely. And these are our four big blocks that we've now discussed. So neurodegenerative disease, I mean, again, uh, a big part of it. So, so, and they, they in, interplay with each other. So metabolic syndrome has got a major play on neurodegenerative disease as well. So, so all these four are, are, are not in silos. They, they work together and, and affect each other. So absolutely. And on dementia, you get the Alzheimer's, but then you get the vascular dementias. So that's where the lipid profiles and the cardiac risk plays into the vascular dementia. So they're all intertwined in some way. Um, we, we distinguish between four entities, but actually it's all one entanglement. Yeah, so if you think about the vascular dementia, it's almost like having small little strokes all the time. You don't see the strokes, but people have these small little strokes, and then at the end of the day, they they, they have dementia, but then it was actually the ACVD or our first horseman causing number four. Yeah, absolutely. And I had a client this week that said that, but doesn't want to take a statin because, you know, there's a risk of dementia in the family and the, the statin and, and he's read some stuff about it can increase the risk of dementia and stuff. I was thinking, but your risk is vascular risk. Your risk factor for dementia is tied to your cardiovascular risk. So you need to be on a statin. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to put things together and build the puzzle and then figure out what to do. Yeah, and maybe coming back to that is um, we're not prescriptive uh, in, in that sense. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are against statins, and we won't throw statins at you uh, because, I mean, our first horseman, um, ASCVD, a big part of that is is their problem with your statins. I mean, with your with your lipids and statins is one of the treatments, but it's one of the treatments. So, and we'll work with you to try and find a way that suits you. I mean, because I'm on statins, I don't think you should be on statins, but it is an option. So there are other things that you can do. So, I mean, it's and it's a journey. It's a, it's that journey for the for the thirty year best you you can be. But you have to put your sense in the bank now to 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 make that that uh, reality. Yeah, and you need to start today for tomorrow. Um, what was that saying that we saw the other about exercising? One of the things I mean, I mean, exercise is such a good example because it has such a lot of benefits. Um, and I think the saying was something like, um, if you if you don't have enough time for exercise now you need to find time for disease later something in that line but but that's it it's a it's a journey we need to start today and 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 we'll guide you through it we'll we'll show you the numbers getting back to know your numbers and then we can plan going forward yeah and by by, by the by the time this podcast comes out there will be 
our our way of thinking and uh, and our information will be out there. So maybe post some questions to us. What what do you think? Because I mean, we obviously live this day in and day out. So if you guys maybe want to send some stuff that we read through, or you've read something new, and we we can maybe digest it and send it back or answer. Uh, I mean that 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 is why we're in this game. We we love it. We and we now understand it much better than five years ago. And but I mean, between me and you, the amount of journals we we look through and yeah, it's it, it, it's cool. So we yeah. we would we would like to give more information. And and information changes over time. I think we can't use our textbooks from from med school anymore. It's long gone. So. Things might change going forward, and we just need to stay current and stay with the changes and make sure we know what's going on and then guide people. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the most important thing. And we will we will stay with the with the current uh, data and scientific, we'll stay scientific. I mean, uh, COVID showed us there's a lot of people that think different, but you have to stay with what has been researched, and that's what we will do. So there will be people that don't agree 100% with us, and there will be things that we don't agree 100% with. But I think the main thing is what almost like finishing the uh, Swiss epic. That, that line that you're drawing in the sand there, that's what we all – working towards and we want to work with your line you drawing your own line we're not drawing your line we're just giving you the numbers yeah good oh thanks i i really enjoyed this and uh i look forward to our next one so absolutely shall we end this with the three takeaway concepts perfect get the base right i think that's the first one don't come in at the back door get the baseline that's how we're going to build longevity Second one is early intervention. These diseases doesn't happen overnight. Early intervention and you can make a big, big change. So early intervention, we mean the earlier the better. So if you know if you know your numbers are 25, great, but nobody does. I always say most people are pretty indestructible till 35. Mm -hmm. So I would I would go somewhere between 30, 35 first numbers yeah. would be nice. Yeah. But definitely at 40. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you just touch on the last one. Know your numbers. Yeah. And hopefully we can help with that. Or we, no, we will be able to help with that. But through our, our, our putting the data back to you and uh, and then we will give you your numbers in your in your hand or in your PDF file and you will have your numbers with you and you can literally refer back to them if you're unsure. And again, we'll, we'll be in the background trying to guide you through there. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Sean. Thanks, Thanks.